All right, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. I can absolutely assure you with 100% certainty that my uncle, Pastor Mark, would never uh, take the chance to give me a compliment about my looks unless it was to get at my dad, Pastor Paul. So that's about the only time you're ever going to hear that. I'm just telling you. But it's good to see you guys. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, I will not ask for a raise of hands of who might be jealous about the people on the Israel trip. We're not going to do that because I have a feeling there might be a few hands up. But I'm really excited about our study tonight. Um, I want to talk about assumptions tonight. And um, tonight is going to be the battle between our assumptions about who God is versus who he really is. That's what I want tonight to be. Um, I want to ask you, is it possible that you are assuming some things about God and you don't even realize it? Is that possible? Um, I think there are some assumptions that we have about God. This is what I want to get at. I think there are some assumptions we have about God that if left unchecked, could really destroy our spiritual life. And this has been something that's been hitting me lately. Um, it's something that came up in my life, and I just really wanted to um, bring this to you guys. So what I did tonight is I picked out three assumptions. These are totally random. Um, I picked out three assumptions that I've thought about in my life. They're totally random. They don't align with each other, really. But I'm hoping all of us can relate to at least one of these assumptions that we make and um, what I want to do is I want to use God's word to try to handle those. And so I hope this encourages you like it has me in my life. Um, but I hope it challenges you to refuse to go through your life resting on your assumptions about who God is. And instead, um, I hope it challenges us to seek out a life of finding out who he really is. And I hope you can see the difference tonight. So in order to do that, we're going to go to First Chronicles 28 tonight, and we're going to go there first because I want to get some advice on how to handle our assumptions about God, okay? So that's the plan. But first, I got to tell you, I'm just going to admit to you, I can be an assumption maker. I don't know if I have any chronic assumption makers in the room tonight, but I have made some wrong assumptions in my lifetime about all sorts of things. I've made wrong assumptions about tree branches that I thought would hold that didn't. I've made assumptions about ice that would hold and it didn't. Um, I've made <laughs> all kinds of assumptions. Um, on one of my first dates with my wife, Shelby, I assumed uh, my family had gone to visit her in Florida and we were at the beach. And I think I tried to do something cool and I assumed that the ocean got deeper faster and it didn't. So I ended up doing a nosedive into like two foot water. And yeah, that was not good. Um, but I'm going to give you one really bad assumption that I've made lately. My, my most recent really bad assumption, I'm not proud to tell you this, but I'm just going to tell you, okay? You're going to make fun of me. But I was trying to be a decent husband, and I was trying to get up early and make my wife breakfast, okay? I was trying to do that. You guys are on my side so far. That was the plan. Okay, and so part of this breakfast was some cinnamon toast, right? I was going to put some cinnamon toast in the oven and it was going to come out nice and crispy and it was going to be awesome, okay? That was the big plan. So here's where you're going to make fun of me. Um, when you preheat an oven, okay? When you go to your oven and you, you're going to preheat, let's say you're going to go to 425, you're going to make a frozen pizza, okay? How long does it take to preheat an oven? It takes like, what, 10 or 15 minutes at least? 
It takes a little bit to preheat an oven, at least 10 minutes. Give me that, okay? So when you switch the knob, our oven does not have like numbers that you can see. It's one of the older ones with the knob. When you switch that knob over to broil, when you do a broil, I know that broil is a lot hotter and, and is supposed to to cook things a lot faster and a lot of times for bread that works really good, right? So I assumed in my mind that if I put that thing to broil, I got more time. We're going to walk away and we're going to handle some other things because it's going to surely, it's going to take a little bit longer to get up to broil temperature. My mother's going to be shaking her head. She, I know she taught me better. Listen, I'm embarrassed about it. Okay. So I say it was taking a long time to get to broil temperature, right? Because it's happening right away. So I put my cinnamon toast in the oven and I walked away and I'm doing other things. So I never heard the beep for the oven come on to say it was done preheating. So eventually I just walk in there after like 15 minutes and because it was it's supposed to be preheating and so I just put the bread in, whatever. And I come back to it and the bread is on fire. I'm not talking like like a small flame. I'm talking on fire flames, okay? And so I had no choice but to turn the oven off, obviously. And the nearest water source nearby I could find to put this bread out was the water filter pitcher in my fridge. So I whip open the fridge, grab the water filter, and just <laughs> and toss the water in there. It was, yeah, it was not good. It was not good. I don't have to tell you that we didn't have cinnamon toast for breakfast that morning. But... Listen, we all make assumptions in our life and we all make poor assumptions in our life. Um, so can you agree with me that the more unnatural or the more foreign something feels to us, the more likely we are to make a quick, incorrect assumption about that? Can you agree with me on that? Why is that? Well, it's usually because we don't know anything about this thing and we've never done it. So if we've never done it, we don't know anything about it. We are very... Um, apt to make a quick assumption about it, right? Well, here's the thing. Sadly, I think based on what we go through in our life, um, sometimes we make the same quick, impulsive assumptions about God. And we do that without ever stopping to check, hey, what does his word actually tell us about these things? And we say things like, well, I don't know God, but he probably doesn't care about my life. Or, I mean, I don't really know God, but um, I assume he's a pretty lenient God. I don't think he really cares that much about what I do, right? We say all kinds of things like this. And so what happens is these assumptions, um, they make us start to have doubts about God. And our foot, because of that, our foot slowly comes off the gas pedal in terms of our Christian life. We start to get more and more ineffective and we start to do less for Christ because we, our assumptions about him start to form all these doubts in our life. I hope you guys can get that. And so obviously we don't want this to happen. Obviously this is a bad thing. And so with all of our different assumptions, how in the world do we know what reality really is? How can we, how, how do we find out what reality is? So here's what I want to do. I want to show you two really cool bits of advice. Before we get in, I picked three assumptions tonight. Like I said, they're, they're random and I hope they, one of them can apply to you. But before we get into our assumptions, I want us to get some advice from the Bible on how to handle them. Okay, we need to know how to handle these assumptions. And so I want to go to the Bible to find out uh, how to do that. We're going to be in First Chronicles 28 tonight. You guys can turn your Bibles to First uh, Chronicles chapter 28. We're just going to read one verse, which is verse 9. But what I want to do is I want to look at some advice. And this is advice that David, King David, gave his son Solomon 
kind of right before King David died, he gave Solomon this advice. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take that advice that he gave to Solomon and I want to apply it to all of our three assumptions we're going to talk about tonight. And hopefully, even if I don't cover one of the assumptions that maybe you've had in your life, you can use this advice to help your own life as well. Okay? So that's the plan. Let me give you the backstory really quick on First Chronicles 28. So where we are is David is nearing the end of his life. David is... Um, just about to die, basically. And we can read about this story in First Chronicles and we can read about it in First Kings, but we're going to read about it in Chronicles. And so David pretty soon is going to be handing off his kingdom um, to his son Solomon. Okay? And the reason why this story hit me, the reason why um, when I was reading it, I thought, hey, this, is, this really helps me with my assumptions, is I can only assume that Solomon had some assumptions going into that. Don't you think he did? Don't you think Solomon would have had some assumptions as he was about to take over? Um, like, there's no way I can do as good as my dad did. Maybe God made a mistake. Maybe God wanted to use my dad, but he didn't really plan on using me. I think Solomon probably had some assumptions. It doesn't tell us that in the Bible, but I, I just think he probably would have. And so I want to, I want to show you what David says to him. So David has all of his, all the princes of Israel together. He has all the captains of Israel together and he's giving a speech basically to tell what's going to come uh, after he dies. And I want you to see what he says to Solomon. Okay, here's our, here's our advice. He says, and thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. This is what he tells to Solomon. And now I want us to see this. I want us to look at this. Um, it's really important what he says after this. But I think what he tells to Solomon is, Solomon, I know you're going to have doubts going forward. I know you may have some assumptions going forward about how this is going to go. But if you apply these two bits of advice to know God and to serve him, if you will commit to doing that first, then you will succeed for Christ. And so what does he say next? As we continue in this verse, and this is First uh, Chronicles 28, 9, he says, For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now, Solomon was already saved. We know Solomon has trusted Christ as his savior. So what does he mean by cast thee off forever? Here's what's so important about this. He was giving Solomon... What is at stake in his life if he doesn't commit to knowing God and serving God? What's at stake in Solomon's life? Well, at the time, it would have been the kingdom. So God's saying, you can't keep the kingdom. And it would have been Solomon's, Solomon's responsibility and Solomon's opportunity to serve Christ and do something for God. That was what was at stake in Solomon's life. So he says, serve him. He says, know him and serve him with a perfect heart. Perfect in this verse doesn't mean that you're going to do everything right. Perfect means a complete heart. If you look at, if you, if you look at the definition, it means a complete heart or an undivided heart, a devoted heart to God. So I want to ask you, what's at stake in your life? If you're, if you give in to your assumptions, if we give in to our assumptions and we go through life having thoughts about God that we've never backed up with the Bible, we let those doubts get to us. What's at stake? Well, what's at stake in our lives is what we're going to do for Christ. He has so much planned for us, but if we rest on our assumptions, we'll never be able to do that. So I want to take David's advice to Solomon, and I wanted to apply it to our assumptions. So 
assumption number one that I thought of is this. God has dropped me into this crazy world and walked away. Anybody ever thought that before? Anybody ever feel like God has just dropped us into this crazy world and just walked away and doesn't give a care about us anymore? Well, it can be tempting to feel like that. I've been watching the news lately, and there is just an absolute endless supply of depressing news. <laughs> it just never stops. You guys know what I mean? It never stops. And so then what I try to do is I'll go like local news, like, oh, maybe this will be happier. Maybe local news, maybe about like some schools doing, you know, ice cream parties or something like that. And the local news is almost worse. Um, there's an endless supply of depressing news. And so if we're not careful, we'll start to assume that this is just the world God put us in and that we're just supposed to walk around depressed because that's the world. We can all have that assumption, right? What did Peter say about this? How do we handle this? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Does that sound depressing to you? That sounds awesome. So because of Christ's mercy, when we get saved and we become a believer in Christ, we are now reborn unto a lively hope. We have hope because of the resurrection. We now have the promise that one day we will be in heaven with God and we'll be rewarded for our works here on earth. That's awesome. What else does Peter say? Let's look at 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. He says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does that sound pointless to you? It doesn't sound like pointless to me. It sounds like we have a job on this earth. It sounds like we're worth something on this earth. We do not have to walk around wondering what is the point to all of this. Anyone who's a believer in Christ is chosen to bring the light of the gospel to this dark world. That is why we're here on earth. That's what we're doing. I know it can feel like God has just dropped us into this sort of mess and there's just nothing we can do about it and there's no hope, but this is our hope. But if we never read this book, if we never are willing to pick up the Bible and say, I'm gonna know God and I wanna serve him more, if we're never willing to do that, then we will never see what Peter's saying. We would never know that. We would never know how much worth we have and what our purpose is in this life. So we have to be careful about that. I want to show you in Jeremiah a promise that God made. And Jeremiah sent this to the captive Jews that were in Babylon. And um, this is a promise of God that he sent. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. This is God talking. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jeremiah sent this promise of God to these Jews who were being held captive in Babylon to say, you guys have an expected end. This is not the end of it right here. And I think God gives us the same promise in our life. We have an expected end, which is what? It's heaven. So we have to remember that. If we assume that this world is the best God has for us, that we're just supposed to stumble around bouncing like we're in a pinball machine with no purpose, 
trying to survive whatever God throws at us next, if we don't go to God's word to handle that assumption, we will never reach the potential that God has for our lives. Never. And we'll probably just be depressed all the time too. This crazy world is not the end of the line for us. He has rewards waiting for us in heaven if we will not assume, but if we will instead seek to know him and if we will serve him. All right, assumption number two. What's another assumption that we can make in our lives? Well, let's see if anybody can resonate with this. God can only work with a sinner like me for so long until he will walk away. God can only work with a sinner like me for so long until he's going to walk away. Anybody ever felt like that before? I have. Um, As Christians, we have a goal, and that's to try to live lives that align as close to the Bible as we possibly can. But anybody ever tried to do that? Anybody ever tried to line up their life with the Bible? How easy was that for you? Is that pretty easy? No, it's not. It's the hardest thing to do. It's really, really hard to do. And so we know God is real, and we know he loves us, But I don't know, sometimes it just feels like he's so far up there, maybe, very distant. And so we just assume that because he's God, that he can't, he can't relate to our struggles. He can't relate to how hard it is to serve him. And so what do we do with that? Because of that, we start to let our circumstances form our image of God. We start to let our circumstances form our image of God. Everybody has a different image of God. Um, doesn't matter who you talk to, they're probably going to think of God differently because of what they've gone through in their life. Um, I think someone in their 10th year of sickness sees an unfair God. Someone waiting for an answer might see a slow God. Someone in a new place might see a confusing God. Someone who deals with stress and anxiety sees a pressing and squeezing God. And someone who has experienced loss might see an unloving God. So we all form images of God based on what we go through in our life. Can I tell you that Satan loves this? Satan loves when we form images of God based on what we go through in our life and specifically wrong images. He loves this because Satan doesn't need us to look at him right away, right? What does he need us to do? All Satan wants us to do is if we can get our focus off of God, just take our focus off of God and onto our assumptions about who we think God is, then we lose all productivity for Christ. We lose all productivity for Christ if we do that. So who is our God? If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter five, um, I believe if we will seek him in his word and we'll serve him, we'll find that we have a gentle God. I wanna prove to you with this assumption that we don't have a God who's unrelatable. We have a gentle God. He wants to work with us. He wants to relate to us. He doesn't throw his hands up and walk away in anger when we sin. But instead, he seeks to forgive us and bring us in close for a relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 5 has a really cool comparison between the Old Testament high priests and the real high priest, which is Jesus Christ, the ultimate real high priest, right? And so um, to give you the backstory really quick, what was the goal? What was the job of these high priests? Well, these high priests were basically the intermediary between man and God. So um, when men would be, when men would sin, they would go to the high priest, they would offer sacrifices, uh, they would hear confessions, and um, they were the go-between between um, man and God. So man would go to the priest in order to, uh, and then the priest would bring this to God. 
Okay, so I want to show you in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 2, I want to show you how Hebrews compares this high priest, these high priests, to the real high priest, which is Jesus. Okay, we're going to read in verse 2. It says, who can have compassion on the ignorant, talking about these priests, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So we see right here that it was these priests' job not only to hear confessions and not only to offer sacrifices for sins, but it was these priests, these high priests' job to be compassionate and to show gentleness to people. Now, why is this? Why was this their job? Well, when people came to them with their sins, the priests could have looked at them a couple different ways. They could have turned their nose down at them and said, how could you? How could you possibly do this? But they didn't do that. It was their job to be gentle. We'll look in this verse. Um, the word compassion actually means to deal gently. That's how we know that it was their job to deal gently with them. And so when people came to the priests with their sins... It was their job to do that and deal gently. Like I said, they didn't turn their nose down at them. They didn't gasp in disbelief. No, they had deep sympathy for the people when they came to them. Why? Why could they do this? Well, it says that he himself also is compassed with infirmity in the next verse. And that means that they could show sympathy to people because they were sinners too. These high priests were normal people too. If you study sympathy... It actually involves experiencing what the person who you are showing sympathy to um, is going through. We all understand that, right? It's hard to show sympathy to someone truly if we haven't been through what they have. It's hard to do that. We can try and we can give it our best shot, but oftentimes we really can't show true sympathy unless we've been through this. And so these priests were sinners too, and they had been right where the people are. And so in verse 3, it tells us that these priests actually had to offer sacrifices for themselves too. And what I want to show you is that this is just like the gentleness that Jesus shows us. These priests were gentle to the people because they were to model Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the ultimate model of gentleness to us, except there's a catch. Why is Jesus different? Why is Jesus different than these priests? The one big difference is this. And let's go to, uh, we're going to look at Hebrews uh, chapter 4, and uh, we're going to look at verse 15 and 16. Here's the difference between the high priest and the true high priest, Jesus. It says this in Hebrews four fifteen: For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but, here's the difference, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Jesus had every temptation that we have, except he had no sin. That's the difference between him and these priests. He's the only real high priest that can truly, truly deal gently with us because he truly knows more than any priest could. What does verse 16 say? What do we do with this? It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If we assume, if we sit back and assume that God has just walked away, and that he doesn't want to work with a sinner like us anymore. Um, we're wrong. We're wrong because he does. God has a gentleness that he wants to show us, even through our sin. He has a gentleness that he wants to show us that nobody else can offer. 
No one else can offer. And this is not an exclusive gentleness, only reserved for the low-level sinners, right? Who just, you know, who, who just do, you know, sort of bad things. The advice we're taking tonight is from King David, who happens to be one of the most famous sinners in the Bible. He committed adultery and murder within the same story. And God showed him gentleness just like he will to us. Why? Because David went to God and said, Lord, please forgive me. I want to keep serving you. If we will simply go to God, he will do that for us as well. Your assumptions tell you that God has walked away and he doesn't want to work with you anymore. But little did you know that before you sinned, he was ready for it and he had a plan to forgive you. Grab your arm and say, come on, let's keep going. He's a gentle God. Don't let your assumptions tell you otherwise. All right, assumption number three and our final one for the night. This is a challenge. Assumption number three is gonna be a challenge and I saved it for last. So don't be mad at me, okay? But I wanna give you something to walk away with. As Christians, well, I should redo the assumption first, right? How about this? As long as I feel good about my level of commitment to God, he feels good about it too. As long as I feel good about my level of commitment to God, he feels good about it too. Anything sound wrong about that? We do this thing as Christians where we look in the mirror, we go to ourselves, we look in the mirror, and then based on what we see by our own thinking, by the way, we give ourselves this spiritual score of how we think we're doing in our spiritual life, of how committed we are to serving Christ. We all do this, and we use all sorts of funny judgment things in order to get our score, right? We'll say, well, I picked up garbage at the church and nobody saw it, so it's got to be good for a score. Well, I talked to the person that I don't really want to talk to after church. That's got to be good for something. I got to be doing pretty good because of that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? We all do this. All of us do this. Okay? And so you're saying, well, what's so wrong with that? What's the big problem with us as Christians going and assessing our lives every once in a while and looking in the mirror? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as it sits like that. But the question is, who is the judge giving out the score? That's what we need to ask ourselves. In Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen, it says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So it's very obvious that we are not the ones who should be giving out the score. It's God. But we don't like this feeling, do we? We don't like to do that. That's a little scary because once God is the judge of our lives instead of us, it means that we might have to change a few things. Whenever, I, whenever we take my wife's car to work um, and I sit in the driver's seat, she hates it because I always move the seat. I just cannot handle whatever position she sits in when she drives. I can't handle that. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, but whatever it is about it, it just, it just does not sit right. And so she hates it when I come in her car because then she knows that something's probably going to change about that. And when we, when we surrender to letting God be our judge, we have to know that this will happen as well. But can I tell you that Satan loves when we assume we can judge our own life? Because when we judge ourselves, we use only, we usually only use selfish methods to do so. And so Satan's main goal, as we know, is to get our eyes off of God. And the reality is that God is the only one who can judge us if we're serving him the way we should be. So I want to look at Psalm 139 and David recognized in this passage, David recognized that God was the only judge. And he said this, Psalm 139, verse one, he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue 
But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. So David clearly recognizes that God knows our motives and God knows everything about us. He knows what we say, what we do, and what we think. Clearly God is our only judge. He's the only one that can really judge us. And so what I want to see is David's response. If we go down to the end of this chapter, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, here's David's response to that. And this should be our response too. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When was the last time that we honestly went to God and asked that question? When was the last time we went to God and say, Lord, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to come into my life and just show me what could I possibly be doing to serve you better? When was the last time we honestly asked that? I think it's something that we should probably ask a little bit more often. If we ask him to do that, though, we need to prepare our heart to accept those changes that he wants us to make. So instead of assuming that we're serving God the right way, how about we invite God's opinion into our life and God's judgment into our life and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. First Samuel sixteen seven says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. This is when Samuel was choosing David to be king. Because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You think it's a little bit different how we think and how we look at our spiritual life? You think it's a little bit different how God looks at it? I think so. Well, as we looked at our assumptions tonight, I just want to ask you, is there a chance that maybe God has something for you to do that you've never thought of? Can you just openly, can you openly ask yourself that question? Is there something that God wants me to do that I've never thought of? Well, maybe you should be exactly where you are. Maybe you should be doing something different, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should be exactly where you are. Well, he, he just wants us to go to him. Either way, he wants us to follow David's advice. He doesn't want us to assume. God wants us to go to him and just ask him. Lord, what should I be doing? God has so much planned for our lives. Let's not get stuck assuming things about God. Let's just commit to knowing him more every day and serving him more every day. Let's let him show us who he is and how he works. And let's let him show us the kind of Christians that we're supposed to be. That way we don't need to assume. I hope that makes sense. Well, if you're here tonight and you're wondering... What are you talking about with all these assumptions? What are you talking about serving God? Well, if you are not a believer of Christ, if you have never at one point in your life said, Lord, I trust that you have paid for my sins and that you are my way to heaven, I want to invite you to do that tonight. There's something that you need to do to become a believer in Christ and to become a child of God. And so I want to invite you to do that tonight so that you can live a life of service to God as well. These verses right here, John 3.16 say, For God so loved the world. That's all of us. God loves every single one of us. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You might be wondering tonight, what's going to happen after this life? After this crazy life that we're in, what's going to happen? Where am I going to go? Well, the Bible says that you can know for sure you will be in heaven someday when you die. And what does it say? It says, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God came. He sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for us, to pay for all the bad things we do. With all the bad things we do, we can never go to heaven. There's none of us that can ever be good enough to go to heaven. So God sent his son Jesus. He came to earth. He died for you to pay for your sins, to pay for all the wrong things that we do. And he says, if you will just believe that I did that for you, if you will just believe one time, it's a one-time decision, a one-time deal. If you will place your trust in me and simply put your belief that I paid for your sins for you, that there's nothing you can possibly do to earn your way to heaven. He says, if you believe that one time, you will be in heaven someday when you die. You will. It's not something you have to renew. It's not something you have to think about in your life again you will be in heaven someday when you die. And once you do that, you are a child of God, you are a believer, and you are free to serve God, and you are free to live for God.